Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Welcome back. Today we're talking with Alex Hutchinson. He is a science journalist who writes about endurance, health, and fitness. Before becoming a journalist, he worked as a physicist and competed for the Canadian team in track, cross-country, road running, and mountain running. Today we're discussing his book, Endure, Mind, Body, and the Curiously Elastic Limits of Human Performance. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Rebecca. I appreciate it. So what inspires you to write this book? Well, I, so I was a competitive runner, as you, as you mentioned. And so I think this all started for me with wondering what my limits were as a runner and, and you know, I guess how, why I couldn't run faster or, or how fast I could, I could ultimately run. Um, but it's something I ended up, so I, st- I started with that in mind, but it's something I ended up pursuing this idea of, of the limits of endurance for about a decade as a journalist and, and while writing this book. And over that time, it became a much broader question for me, not, not just how fast could I run, but I ended up defining endurance as the, 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 the struggle to continue against a mounting desire to stop. And, and you know, that's not just about running a marathon. That's, that's, uh, that's about being up all night with a, with a, a sick child or, or, you know, studying for an exam. Uh, I think it's an it's a, it's a experience that's got a, sort of a part of life, a part of humanity. And so it, yeah, that's, it started with running, but I think, yeah, as I said, it's, it's, uh, it became a much broader topic as I went on. Well, you know, I definitely agree with you. Like, you know, I've never been a competitive athlete, but having been um, sick and and pretty much bedridden for many years, it it was the stories that I read were almost the same, even though you were talking a lot about athletes, it was pushing yourself past what you think that you can do. And I look back now, and I don't know how I did any of that. Because if I have a bad day now, I mean, it's, um, I'm I'm pretty normal most of the time. So, so I, I can barely, you know, handle it. Whereas back then, you know, I could put up with a lot more, which, you know, you discuss a lot of that in your book about how we can, you know, push ourselves past these limits that that we think are there and that are, you know, written in science that should be there. Yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting you mentioned the parallels between, you know, endurance for someone who's ill and, and endurance for someone for, for an athlete. And we often put those in separate boxes but th- there's a huge amount of commonality. And, and one of the researchers, I, probably the researcher who figures most prominently in the book is a guy named Samuel Marcora. He's an Italian researcher who now works in, in England, uh, who, who's done some really, really interesting research on, the, on understanding the nature of fatigue. And he didn't get into this because he was an ex-marathon runner or anything like that. He got into it because his mother was ill. His mother had a, a serious kidney disease and ended up on dialysis. And so the dialysis controls the physical problems associated with her, with her kidney failure, but she still struggled, and many patients with her condition struggle with uh, sort of crushing fatigue that interferes with just the day-to-day tasks of, of, of living. And so he, Marcora was, a, was a, a physiologist in a different area, but he decided he couldn't understand why there was this disconnect between the physical symptoms that his mother had, which which seemed to be addressed, and her experience of living, which was still very difficult. So he reinvented himself as a, as a physiologist trying to understand the nature of fatigue and specifically trying to understand the brain's role in how we, how we experience and how we interpret fatiguing tasks. So I think, I think the parallels are very clear. And actually, another, you know, in another section in the book, I, I talk about there's a, there's a research into into something called the transcranial direct current stimulation. So it's basically running a, a weak electric current through your brain. And, and there's some pretty interesting research today showing that, or these days showing that it can it can change your endurance. So this is another sign that endurance is controlled by your brain if you can if you can send electric current through your brain and change your physical endurance. But anyway, the the point is. The researchers who are doing this, they come from the, the perspective of stroke rehabilitation and Parkinson's, trying to help people cope with physical limitations. And, and again, the challenges that someone who's suffered a stroke and is trying to learn to walk again, the challenges that person faces, 
are not just similar, they're, they're fundamentally the same as the challenges that a marathon runner faces trying to run a little bit faster. It's trying to, trying to convince your muscles they can do something that you have the perception that you can't do, but if you can, if you can alter your perspective in some way or change what's going on in your brain, you, it turns out you may actually have that physical capacity. So when we're talking about this and we're talking about endurance, I mean, I, I think we all know what that means in, in the term of, you know, you run a race and you have the endurance to do that. Um, but, you know, you're in your book, you talk about a broader spectrum. I mean, some of your examples, you know, um, climbing the Arctic or climbing Mount Everest and, you know, going to the Arctic and all that kind of stuff are, are of course, beyond what I do in my everyday and is probably more extreme examples. But what is the definition of endurance? And what does that mean for us? Yeah, this, this was actually a really tricky uh, thing to, to sort out. Sort of, and you'd think I would have figured out what endurance was before I started writing a book about it, but actually it was sort of part, halfway through the research process, I sort of realized, you know, I have to really narrow down what I mean by the word endurance, because it means different things to different people. And, you know, running a marathon, yes. Uh, spending three months trying to haul a sled across the Antarctic. Well, yeah, I think that requires endurance. But then at the other end of the spectrum, it's like, you look at Usain Bolt. He's a sprinter. He sprints for 10 seconds. But why is he one of the greatest sprinters in the world? Well, every sprinter, when they run 100 meters, they start to slow down usually. They reach their peak speed around 60 meters, and then they start to slow down. They can't maintain their peak speed for the entire 10 seconds of the race. And Bolt maintains his peak speed a little bit longer than most of his rivals. So in a way, you could argue that Usain Bolt is great because he has great endurance for a sprinter. So what I realized is it's really hard to sort of say, well, endurance takes place between, you know, one minute and five hours or something like that. It's, that's, that, that's not really sufficient. To me, that, or, or it's, not, it, it's too restrictive. To me, endurance uh, is something that, well, one thing that's, that's sort of essential to it is the feeling of time passing. So it's not just being willing to be uncomfortable because, you know, I, I could say, you know, punch me in the face and that would, well, that would be stupid. But it would also, you, you could say that someone is, has you know, great self-control or anything if they're willing to allow themselves to be punched in the face. But that doesn't take endurance because it just happens in a split second. So you have to be willing to endure, kind of hold your finger in the flame to talk about endurance. And so, as I said, the general definition that I ended up settling on is that endurance is the struggle to continue against a mounting desire to stop. And that, you know, that can take place over the course of, of you know, a minute or an hour or a day or a month. Or, you know, another example that I, that I think of, because uh, I've been tra- traveling a bunch lately, is, you know, sitting on a plane in a really cramped seat, uh, being uncomfortable, and, you know, maybe there's uh, crying babies all around you and, and so on. There's in, in, or, or maybe it's studying for an exam, you know, being able to maintain your focus and keep doing what you're trying to do to, to, to struggle against the, the, the mounting desire for whatever reason to stop. It requires endurance, and and this I, I should I should emphasize that it kind of feels like I'm mixing lots of different things together, and you know that the similarities between studying for an exam and running a marathon are just sort of metaphorical. But what I came away from this book feeling is that actually it's not just a metaphor; that fundamentally it is the same task. The you, the, the, the the, the mental strength you require to, you know, force yourself to keep studying for the exam or to keep pushing uh, the, the, the pace in your marathon, that is the same, those are the same mental traits. And the, the, I think they're transferable. If you get better at one, you probably get better at, at others. And, and so, and, and the mental aspect of endurance, I think is fundamental to physical endurance. Because of course, to run a marathon, you also need to train your body, right? Like it's, it's, you have to have a strong heart and strong legs and so on. But in the middle of a marathon, no one is running at, the, at their physical limits. No one is sprinting as hard as they can. So it's fundamentally still, even in those contexts, it's still a mental challenge to, to get the most out of yourself. So that's a bit of a, a rambling answer, sorry, but but, uh, but yeah, that's <laughs> well, it obviously that that shows yeah that shows how complicated it actually is that um, you know it, it's not just this straightforward 
it is this, you know, it, it is, like you said, pushing beyond the desire to stop, which I think we've all been there. I don't, I don't think there's anybody who hasn't done that, whether it's just to get up in the morning or to run a marathon. Um, you know, these are can be difficult things depending on, on what's going on in your life. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, like I said, I think, it, I think it's a sort of uh, for, for better or worse, it's a fundamental part of the human condition. Uh, and, and so, you know, I sometimes talk to people about these ideas and, and they'll say, well, you know, I'm not an athlete. And, and I, and I say, well, look, maybe not, but I guarantee you've, you, you've pushed your limits of endurance in some context of your life. We all, we all have come across that struggle in, in, in different ways. So when we're talking about, uh, you know, some people being able to maintain their endurance for longer than the 10 seconds, um, why are some people different and and can do that and some can't? Is that something that we understand? Well, we have some pretty good understanding of, of, of the factors. There's, there's not one simple answer. Uh, there, there's there's a lot of different things that go into endurance, and, and one thing I would say is, so in the book, and also I, I, I talk a lot about what, what's interesting to me is the mental side of endurance, but this doesn't mean that the physical side is not important too. So if 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 you if you asked me if you took a hundred random people off the street and asked me to predict which of them was going to finish a marathon fastest or what order they would finish a marathon in, my first sort of uh, attempt to figure things out would be to take them to an exercise physiology lab and run some tests on things like their maximal oxygen intake or their uptake, which is a a measure of how quickly they can take oxygen from the air, breathe it into their lungs, transport it into their bloodstream and get it to their muscles. Oxygen is really important. Uh, And there's other things you can look at, like how efficient their muscles are. And these sorts of physical traits, (coughs) excuse me, they're what separate. They're the biggest thing that separate, you know, an Olympic marathon from from me. Um, but that's not enough. That so so definitely these physical things like the efficiency of the muscles and ability to use oxygen matter. And and some of that stuff is is I mean that's definitely physical training builds those capabilities. But also some people are 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 born with with uh, you know greater oxygen uh, usage capacities than others. But if you look at any sort of similar group of people, like if you take all the people, all the people in the Olympic marathon, they all have very similar physical traits at that point. And and at that point, you you could spend all day in a lab or all month in a lab running tests, and you still wouldn't be able to figure out who is going to win the race. So once you once you talk about evenly matched people, then you're talking. Then you start to uh, uh, the mental side becomes the the more uh, crucial distinguishing factor. So, so there's definitely some some obvious physical things that we can look at that 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 tell the difference between someone who has uh, you know amazing physical endurance and someone who has more normal physical endurance. Uh, but 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 that only takes you so far. That only tells you part of the story. So what, when we're looking at this, one thing I found interesting in your book was um, that you know death by endurance was was rare. You said, and I'm just wondering if we know why that is. Why we don't push ourselves to those limits all the time when I thought about it I'm like well yeah that's normal because otherwise we wouldn't just you know we wouldn't go to bed we would just keep pushing ourselves right so why is it that it's so rare for us to push ourselves way beyond that capacity yeah this is a really interesting insight that that uh, a South African scientist named Tim Noakes pointed out to me and he 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 sort of thought about this in the in the mid 1990s. He was giving a a really important le- exercise physiology lecture in 1996, an honorary lecture, and he was trying to think of something interesting to say. And he, and it occurred to him that, you know, yes, some people reach their limits, and occasionally someone dies while they're climbing Mount Everest or running a marathon in hot conditions or something. But the really odd thing when you think about it is that it's so rare that all, people almost never do. And and one of the things he does. Tim Noakes likes to do in his talks, he'll put up a slide showing a picture of the gold and silver medalists from the 1996 Olympic marathon, which was won by a South African. That's why he likes it, because he's from South Africa. But you have these two guys, uh, one from South Africa, one from from uh, South Korea, jogging around the track, waving their flags. And he'll say, well, you know, look at that guy in second place. Look at the silver medalist. What do you notice about him? He's not dead. And that means he could have gone faster. So this is a guy who came 
second by three seconds in the Olympic marathon. So he had every incentive to push himself to his absolute maximum. You know, sporting immortality awaited if he could go just three seconds faster, but he couldn't. And yet, when he crossed the line, he was able to keep jogging. So obviously, his muscles hadn't reached some limit where they didn't work anymore. Uh, and 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 when you think about it, like around the globe on any given Sunday, there's thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people running marathons or doing bike races or hiking or doing all sorts of things where they're trying to push themselves as hard as they can and yet they can't seem to do any damage to themselves if i if i if i went out the door right now and sort of just decided to run myself unconscious i wouldn't be able to i'd be too tired before i was able to do any serious damage to myself so noakes started thinking about this and and said why is this why can we not hurt ourselves because sometimes it would be nice to be able to push a little harder you know if you're if you're being chased by a lion or whatever, you, you don't want any anything holding you back. But Noakes' theory, which, which he called the central governor, is that oh, through evolution or for whatever reason, we're wired in a way that prevents us from reaching our absolute physical limits, or at least tries to prevent us from reaching our absolute physical limits. That that when you reach the point you can't go any farther, it's not because your your muscles have absolutely maxed out or your heart is about to explode. It's because your brain wants to make sure that doesn't happen. And you can think about, you know, that, that it kind of makes sense that we would we would end up being wired this way because if, like you said, if you, if you had no signal to, to make you stop, you would just, you know, keep chasing that antelope, uh, you know, 50,000 years ago across the savanna until you fell flat on your face uh, and died. And then you wouldn't pass on your genes to your, to your ancestors, so or to your, to your descendants, rather. Um, so this idea of the central governor that where the brain is always holding you back from the absolute physical limits where you might actually push yourself to death, it's been controversial for the last 20 years and there's lots of debate about it. And, and I don't, I think there's not a whole lot of agreement on exactly how the brain holds us back or, or what the, what the actual circuitry is, but there's pretty broad agreement now that, that we do, we are wired in a way that makes it very, very hard for for, for anyone to push themselves to, to the to a, a truly dangerous point. Which is not to say it doesn't happen, right? Like, and and I talk about some of these examples in my book of you know like a guy who was trying to walk un, unaided across Antarctica, hauling a 300 pound sled with no no backup and no no help, who ended up after 70 days basically just sort of collapsing and dying of ma- massive organ failure, even though he had plenty of food and he wasn't cold or anything like that. So it can happen, but it's really really rare because we seem to have some pretty good protective circuitry, which in some cases may go haywire. Maybe sometimes for some people it becomes too protective and we, we get starting get, getting the signals to slow down even when there's no reason to slow down. Hmm. Um, that that makes sense. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about this more when we get back. We're talking today with Alex Hutchinson, and we're discussing his book, Endure, Mind, Body, and the Curiously Elastic Limits of Human Performance. We'll be back shortly. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. The largest syndicated alternative health talk program has come to the Voice America Network. The Dr. Bob Martin Show is the program that will answer your health questions and help you to heal your own body of many different ailments. Each week, you'll hear the answers that Dr. Bob gives to his callers that help them to be their own doctor most of the time. We'll also discuss developments on the healthcare front and what you need to do to keep your body in top form. The Dr. Bob Martin Show airs Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. 
Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. We're talking today with Alex Hutchinson, and we're discussing his book, Endure. So, Alex, you know, we talked about, you know, what these personal limits are for everybody and that we, you know, we all have them and we're pushing past them. But is there a way that we can actually change that? Yeah, that's the that's the inevitable question, right? Like if you, you start thinking about limits, you say, OK, well, um, how, how can I tap into this hidden reserve? Um, so the, the short answer is, I think, yes, it is possible to change these limits. It's harder than, than you might think. And it's not a, a sort of, there's no like press a button and you suddenly have access to, to hidden power. But, uh, there's a number of ways that, that scientists have shown both this, there's, some, there's some methods in the lab that you can use to, to, cha- to alter the limits on your, you know, quote unquote, central governor. Um, that sh- that kind of demonstrate the fact that it's, it exists. And so an example of that would be, uh, for example, studies using subliminal images. So you, ha- you put some cyclists in, in, a, in a lab and ask them on a stationary bike and ask them to pedal for as long as they can at a given pace or power. On the wall in front of them, you have uh, images of either a smiling face or a frowning face that just flash for a brief, like, 16 milliseconds at a time. So you're not even aware that there are pictures in front of you. Uh, they're, they're totally uh, invisible, and you only perceive them unconsciously. Um, and cyclists, can, and, uh, in, in one study at least, they, they lasted 12% longer when you know, they were unconsciously being shown smiling faces rather than frowning faces. So that's the kind of... Um, an example of something where they, since they didn't even know that this was happening, it's not like a placebo effect because they, they didn't know that they were being manipulated. And so the, the thinking is that what's happening there is what matters is not so much, it doesn't matter what your lactate levels in your leg are, legs are or your, what your, exactly your heart rate is. I mean, or at least those things don't matter directly. You don't stop because your heart rate has reached uh, a maximum. You stop because of, or you slow down because of how your brain is interpreting all those signals. Your brain is kind of assessing, how are we doing? How far do we need to go? Is this sustainable? Should we slow down? And so the, in a sense, what the smiling faces seem to do is, is just help our, or nudge our brain to have a more optimistic interpretation of those same signals from the rest of the body, whether it's the heart rate or lactate or your body temperature. All you just sort of you assess that and say, oh, it's it's okay. You're you're in a slightly happier place. And so, uh, from for practical purposes, subliminal messages are not a particularly useful thing to to think about. We're not going to start flashing, uh, you know, smiling faces everywhere. But this that that same that insight points to the fact that your internal monologue really matters. The, the words that are going through your head during stressful times, they are also influencing how your brain interprets signals from the rest of your body. So, in the, again, in the sports context, because that's a sort of an easy way of, of thinking about this, or a, a, a sort of simple real-life context, if you're running a marathon and halfway through you're saying you're saying to yourself, oh, this hurts so much, I can't do this. There's no way I there's no way I can keep going. I'm going to have to slow down. I'm going to have to stop. Um, the, those thoughts are then affecting how your brain is interpreting how your legs are feeling, how your heart rate is doing, how your body temperature is doing. And if you can recognize that internal monologue, recognize the things you're telling yourself, and kind of analyze it and say, is this true is this are these justified thoughts 
and some, you know, in some cases they're they're not going to be justified. You're going to be overly ne- negative or pessimistic, and so you you can then come up with alternatives. What should I be saying to myself halfway through a marathon? And if you're saying to yourself, I can do this. I've prepared for this. I'm as I'm as as good as anybody else here at enduring through this. I'm going to keep going. Uh, that will change your interpretation, like the smiling faces, so that you're then able to uh, basically endure the same amount or, or, or endure more physical, uh, a greater physical effort without having it feel harder. So you're able to keep going for longer. And this, this kind of thing is called motivational self-talk training. And it's, it's been around for decades or, or, or longer. It's something sports psychologists have worked with for a long time. And it's sort of very intuitive. But what's new in the last few years is that physiologists have started to say, hey, this is, this is actually, we need to be able to incorporate the brain into our understanding of, of human limits. So let's, let's test motivational self-talk training where we give people a couple weeks of training and how to change their internal monologues. And what they're finding is, yeah, it, it really does in laboratory conditions allow you to enhance your endurance. So that's, that's a big takeaway for me is you, you can change it you can change your brain settings, not necessarily by, you know, hooking up your brain to a machine, but by taking care of your, your thoughts and your internal monologue. Well, one, one example from your book, and I'll, I'll let you tell the story better, was a lady who had had brain surgery, and she, she didn't have any short-term memory. So she wasn't able to remember where she was in her journey. Would that yeah, be kind a, of on? Yeah, I'll let you talk about that. Yeah. This is a really interesting sort of real-world illustration of how this plays out. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, it's a woman named Diane Van Deren. She's a, a, an ultra-marathon runner. But her ultra-marathon career uh, only, she, and she's very, very accomplished, but this, her career only started after she had brain surgery at the age of 37. She had very severe epilepsy. She had, she had some had really debilitating seizures. So she had surgery to remove a small kind of golf ball sized chunk of her brain where the seizures were originating. And there's always some collateral damage in that kind of surgery. And for her, it took, took the form of, uh, of uh, compromising her, her sense of time and her sense of place so, so that she didn't have, uh, she was no longer as, as well able to keep track of, you know, how long things were taking, where she was, where she was going. Um, and what's interesting is that she wasn't an ultra marathon runner. Um, before this surgery at age 37, she'd never competed in a, in a, in a marathon or in an ultra marathon. But what she, what she found is she, she was really good at it after surgery. And she started by running like a 50 K or 50 mile, or I think it was. And then she was doing multi-day events. And then in her early fifties, she was, she actually set a, a record on the, uh, a, a trail that goes all the way across North Carolina. So it took her like, tw- I think it was 22 days or so. And she was running something like 22 hours a day for more than three weeks, just pushing herself absolutely to, to her limit. She ran the fastest ever time on the, uh, traversing this this trail across North Carolina. And the thing was, she she had this. It's kind of a it's a, a blessing and a curse, you could say. She it's not that she didn't suffer. She she, you know, pushing herself like that was extremely painful. But she didn't have, to the same extent as the rest of us, it seems this this sort of control system for where for most of us our brains are constantly assessing how far have we come how far do we have to go how you know where do we stand in terms of uh, you know controlling our resources to make sure we don't run out of gas or push ourselves too hard so for her, her she just always has a, a weaker sense of how far she's come and how far she still has to go she so at one point she said something like you know i could be out running for two weeks and if someone said Hey, there's a race that starts tomorrow. I'd be like, let's go. Because for her, it's always the present moment. She's not calculating what the brain, what the body might be able to do tomorrow or in an hour. She's just responding to what her body can do right now. And so it turns out that's a very powerful way of, of running and of getting the most out of yourself, a powerful and painful way of, of being able to push your body because you're only worried about can you keep going right now, not can you keep going in the future. So I, you know, I don't think she would voluntarily, I don't think anyone would voluntarily choose to have that happen or to have those deficits. But uh, for her, it certainly uh, turned her into a, an amazing ultra runner and, and allowed her to kind of 
uh, d- demonstrated what ha- or how the brain uh, has these sort of subtle effects on our on our abilities. Well, you know, it definitely does. And, you know, when you're talking about it, it sounds like a lot of people are trying to achieve that because you, you described mindfulness and, and <laughs> meditation where we try to be in the moment and, and only experience this, which I, I think is, is very difficult to do because, you know, when you're sitting doing something, you're like, okay, but then later I have to do this and this task, which obviously she isn't thinking about. She's just running yeah, and she, not she's not burdened with all of that other stuff that the rest of us are yeah and and you know it, it, again she might in other contexts she might like it but it's a it might, she might like to have those abilities but it, it, it's mm-hmm. a gift I, I sort of think of it in the it's like I, I sit here trying to do work at my computer and I get endlessly distracted by checking Twitter and things like that <laughs> and um, you know if you if you took away my internet connection I'd become I wouldn't necessarily be happier I'd be hey I need my internet but I'd probably be a much more productive writer. I'd be, I'd get a lot more, a lot more words on the page if you took away that internet connection, because it, it, it's taking me out of the moment of the, the, the task of writing. Whereas, if without that distraction, so she, she's kind of lost that that ability, which is a mixed blessing. And and because uh, we all know, like, like to go back to your point, I, I know perfectly well that checking. Twitter every 20 minutes is not helpful to me as a, as a runner in the same way that I know that cultivating mindfulness or as a writer rather in the same way that I know that cultivating mindfulness is good for me, uh, you, you know, uh, probably as an athlete, probably as a writer, probably as a human being like cultivating that sense of mindfulness. I know it's good. It's just hard to do because we have all these other things tugging at our attention. And so she has uh, maybe fewer things tugging at her at, at her attention and she's able to take advantage, take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, um, something I think just special for her. I think that you know, you know, talking about try, you know, trying to move forward and and becoming a good athlete or just enduring, you know, your challenge in your life. Um, not all of us, as you said, are going to have the deficits that she has. So, so you know, working on on the brain, like you said, it is it's not easy to do that either to, to look at, you know, we're not going to walk around and I'll stare ahead and I'll see these happy faces ahead of us. So we're still going to have whatever we have going on in our own brain, um, I guess in our way and, and becoming a challenge as well as the physical aspect of, of our own bodies. Yeah. And I would say like one of the things that the things that I really want to make clear you know, so look, I, I wrote a book that's all about the mental side of endurance. And of course, I talk a little bit about ways of, of sort of surmounting the mental mental barriers. Um, it's always tempting to try and oversell how powerful those techniques are and to, to, to say, hey, you read my book and I guarantee you're going to be, uh, it, you know, it's going to be life is going to be easy. You know, you're going to learn these three three tricks that are going to allow you to, to totally surpass your mental limits. Unfortunately, that's not the way it works. Like, I think, I think understanding and, and thinking about the mental aspect of endurance is a really powerful and important way of understanding whatever challenges you're facing. And I think some of the stuff I describe in the book, the stuff like motivational self-talk and mindfulness and, that, and that, those sorts of things are powerful techniques, but they are not uh, sort of easy or simple fixes that you just uh, press a button and, and things get a lot better. They're, they're sort of journeys, and I would say for myself, uh, you know, I've learned a lot from writing this book, but I'm not, I'm not, uh, sort of speaking from the top of the mountain where everything is easy now. It's, it's, it's more just a question of understanding, like seeing someone like Diane Van Deren, you see, okay, I understand now what the role of, of those sorts of distractions and how they can hold me back more than they should, but it's still a long process to try and a slow process to try and, you know, build my own mindset, uh, in a direction where I, where I can, you know, push beyond what what my limits might have been previously. Well, and, and not everybody's. Most of us aren't going to have the the brain surgery the way she has had that are going to allow us to run for twenty two hours in a day because we can't remember how long we've been running. So you know, to to deal with our everyday life when we have the memory and we have the knowledge of of what's going to happen if we push past something. Um, you know, for people that are chronically ill, that could mean the next three days they're too tired, or for is the same with running a marathon. I'm sure that takes a toll. You know, where uh, there seems to be um, from reading your book as well that, that 
that there's something that stops us from pushing past all of that to a certain degree. Yeah, and and, and in a way, one of the one of the things that you the ultimate one of the ultimate goals, I guess, is to is to start trying to distinguish between. Uh, the feeling that you shouldn't do something, the feeling that you can't do something, and the actuality of you being unable to do it, uh, and fe- you know, feelings are real, and the, and they they ha- they have power in us. But uh, but but is you, you want to start because sometimes we really can't do something. Like if you're running a marathon, there there are things that you you know you can't just sprint a marathon. Your mind does not allow you to just sprint a marathon as fast as you can. That's not the way life works. So you want to start trying to distinguishing between the sort of orange lights and the red lights and starting to be able to see the difference and, and between when you can push a little, keep pushing a little, and when you really do have to respect that signal that, that, that you've gone as far as you can for now. So it's, 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 it's more, yeah, it's, it's not like a quick fix or anything. It's more just a, a kind of trying to understand more about the nature of the barriers that we encounter. Um, well, yeah, that makes sense. We're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Alex Hutchinson, and we're discussing his book, Endure Mind, Body, and the Curiously Elastic Limits of Human Performance. We'll be back shortly. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of return to peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Alex Hutchinson, and we're discussing his book, Endure. So, Alex, when we're, when we're talking about all the, the, the physical limits, I mean, your, your book did focus on, um, you know, sports and everything. But I know that there, there's uh, – is, is our mental capacity, you know, um, the same as that? Is there is, – or is there a difference? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, Rebecca. Um, so again, I, I focused a lot on 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 the sort of physical endurance, like running like running a marathon, and and everyone's aware that let's say, let's say you're running a marathon, you're gonna uh, when in the week before the marathon, you're gonna reduce your training pretty dramatically uh, because even though you've been training to get fitter, you need to also be fresh and well rested, and 
There's been a bunch of research in recent years looking at the role of mental fatigue and how it impacts even physical performance. So what they found is that if you, let's say you, you, can, you can sit at a computer for 90 minutes uh, doing some fairly simple task, you know, they have letters and numbers flashing on a screen and you just have to press a button depending on which numbers or letters show up. It's not hard, but it takes some focus. After 90 minutes, if you then try and do some physical exercise, your perception of the effort required to do that exercise will be higher because you're mentally fatigued. So you'll get onto an exercise bike, try, start pedaling at a given pace, and you'll say, oh man, that feels like 6 out of 10 instead of like 5 out of 10, even though all you've been doing is just sitting at a computer, uh, which is what a lot of us do most of the day. Uh, you know, and I don't sit just for, ni- for 90 minutes, I'll sit at, at a computer for eight hours. And so I, don't, I think oftentimes we don't really realize the toll that takes. And so from a sports perspective, the takeaway is like, uh, if you're running a marathon, yeah, you're going to not train that much on the, in the last week, but you should also take care to have a mental taper. You should, you should, uh, you know, spend your last few days before the marathon, um, you know, reading something enjoyable or relaxing it's not the time to to do your taxes or something like that and and to arrive at the start of the marathon uh you know physically fresh but mentally frazzled and i think that's a lesson that really uh again has applies in so many areas of life whether it's something at work or a, you know a social occasion whether it's thanksgiving with the family or or, or whatever if you've got something that's going to tax you either physically or mentally uh, you want to make sure you're starting with a full, a full reserve that you're not starting with a half tank of mental energy. And so I think it's really important to build in times of recovery, both both after but also before things that take a lot of energy out of you. Well, and this is something that um, you know, although it's talked about a lot on this show, is is not um, socially accepted and personally accepted for a lot of people. You know, we a lot of people feel guilty just to take that time out. But you know, if if we're comparing that mental fatigue to the same as a physical fatigue after reading your book, it's obviously very important for us to have that downtime where we're gonna not be able to perform at our best. Yeah, you know, and there's a, there's a recent book by uh, by two guys now, Brad, Brad Stolberg and Steve Magnus, called Peak Performance, and one of them is a is an uh, elite track coach, and one of them is a former management consultant. So they what they've done is kind of bridge these worlds of what athletes have learned over the years about peak performance with what uh, people in business and other contexts and creative pursuits have learned about peak performance and looking for the parallels and, and their sort of fundamental point, their, their mantra is that stress plus rest equals growth. And most of us are good at the stress part about pushing our bodies, pushing our minds, pushing ourselves. But what we forget is that without the rest, you, you, your body doesn't grow. It just gets more and more stressed. And I think that's a that's a really important insight. And like you said, it's not it's not something that's sort of built into our our work lives or our personal lives. The idea that uh, y- you know what I, I you're going to get more productivity out of me if I go home and just rest for a day, or if I don't accept any evening invitations for a week because I just need to recharge after after you know a day of work or whatever. And it's it, it can be difficult, and it, it can be it it can. It, it again, and like you said, it doesn't it doesn't ha- happen naturally or get the social approval. But I think t- taking care of building sufficient recovery in is just such a such an important thing. Well, and and and, and often overlooked. I mean, it's in North America anyway, where most jobs push themselves. I mean, where I live, people work long hours and they're expected to. And um, you know, if they show any sign of weakness, they could be at risk of of losing their job. You know, they're just expected to do that. And you know, having gone through what I did with my own health journey, I don't do that. And um, it, it's it, there have been some comments from people in, in the city just because um, I'm not I actually don't work the normal nine to five Monday to Friday job just because I need to have time for myself. But I had to get ill to learn that. And and I hope that most people are listening to the show and realize that 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 it's important before, <laughs> you know, that kind of drama in your life to to take care of yourself because you know after reading your book it's obviously very important for us to um to understand our limits yeah i agree and 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 and, and 
you know, a, a lot of superficially what my book is about is how to push your limits. But there's, <laughs> there's a place in time for that. There's a place in time for pushing your limits and there's a place of time for recovering it. And I, you know, I, I would say for me personally, at, uh, you know, at my place in or my where I am in my career and my family life, um, it's a real struggle because I think I'm I'm aware of what needs to of, of what I need to do to be happiest and healthiest. But there's a lot of pressures, uh, both external and definitely internal pressures on uh, thinking I should be pushing harder, doing more, trying, trying this, doing that. Um, and it's not easy to turn those voices off. But, you know, I, I have to say, like, as, as you as you as we were chatting about off air, you can <laughs> my voice is actually usually like an octave higher than this. I have a cold right now. And, uh, I, you know, I've been pushing hard the last few weeks and. Finally, on Friday, I, I, you know, I could tell I was getting sick. And so on Friday, I, I was like, okay, I have to get to bed by nine o'clock. And, and, and so Friday and Saturday and Sunday nights, I got to bed early and it's great. And I liked it. But if I had done that a week earlier, I might not be sick right now. You know, that, that was closing the barn door after it was already too late because I'd been up later working and sorting things out for the previous week. And so it, it's a shame to learn the lessons when it's too late. Even when you know the lessons, you have to, you have to get, get out ahead of it and, and recover <laughs> before you're like, ah, where did my, now I'm sick. Thanks for, thank, thanks Alex. Why did you do that to yourself? Um, yeah, that's an important lesson. I'm glad you learned that. I'm glad well, you could I, I, point I learned that it every two months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one thing I'm curious about, um, you know, your book goes into way more detail than than we even have time on the show. But after doing all of this research as an athlete, have you um, been able to change anything, you know, um, increase your your running time or anything like that? Well, I'll say, you know, one one thing that that the sort of um, factor that you have to consider is uh, in my tw- teens and 20s and even into my early 30s, I was competing on the Canadian national team uh, as, a, as a distance runner. Now I'm, I have a, you know, a two-year-old and a four-year-old and I'm balancing a career. So the, the level of, of training I'm at right now means that I'm, I'm, I'm not chasing the performances that I, that I had when I was you know, 25 years old. Um, <coughs> so, so no, I'm not, I'm not faster than I was. Um, am I faster than I would be if I hadn't done this research? It's hard to say, because one thing I will say, so I've thought a lot about this, about let's say I had a time machine and I could go back and give some advice to, you know, my 20 year old self who was, you know, fully consumed with trying to run as fast as possible. What advice would I give? And I've spent, you know, 10 plus years writing about the science of endurance, not just about the stuff in the book, but about every supplement you can think of, every new workout regime, every sort of approach to getting faster. And if I did, so if I had this time machine, it's definitely the case that I wouldn't, there's nothing, there's almost nothing I would go back and tell myself about new nutrition or, or supplements or performance enhancing workouts or anything like that. All that stuff is pretty, pretty marginal. Um, it's, it would definitely be, my focus would be on the mental stuff like we were talking about earlier, like, uh, um, like uh, uh, motivational self-talk. Now, in my current life, how am I doing with that stuff? Uh, it's it's a journey, and I'm early in the journey. It's 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 one thing to to recognize the importance of this stuff, but it's not like just sort of saying, okay, I I now believe motivational self-talk works. Well, that doesn't do anything on its own. You have to then take the steps to become aware of what your monologue is, and then put in the work to develop alternative forms of, of self-talk that become second nature. And I, I'm, I'm not there yet, I would say. <clears throat> I'm uh, Probably the, the stage that I'm at is I'm a lot more aware when I'm doing things poorly, when I'm running with a big frown on my face and telling myself that it, I'm doomed to failure. I'm aware of that, but it's still not easy for me to, to, to switch that at the flick of a switch to something more positive. Well, I mean... Although, uh, I mean, it sounds like we're talking about neuroplasticity and and to change those pathways, which I've talked about on the show before. And, you know, you can't just change 
a, a pattern that you've had for for 40 years, you know, a self-talk pattern um, overnight just by making that decision. I, I, we don't work that way. Uh, you know, we have those those patterns for a reason. They're somehow ingrained in us for some sort of protection or some sort of something. Um, and uh, it, it's something that does take time. Um, and we know that would change with anything. So, you know, it was no different than if I was to decide I wanted to be an athlete the way you are, I would be changing my workout regime and it would you know certainly be hard and it, I, I think that that's that's the same and that's something that we forget about with the, when we come to the mental aspect is it's just as hard to do to change anything else in our lives yeah and, it, and it's hard and it's also it's the changes are invisible so it's much harder to track our progress and so that's why I, yeah I think it's really important to emphasize that because the tempting thing to do is just say, okay, well, I'll give this a try. This, you know, this sounds kind of crazy, but I'll, I'll try, you know, being positive for myself. And then two weeks later, you haven't noticed any big changes in your life. So you're like, ah, that, I don't think that really worked for me. Well, it's like, to me, it's, it's a journey of years to, to, to sort of set yourself uh, a goal of being, you know, of, for example, being more positive, uh, but, but, uh, you know, changing whatever other pathways may be holding you back. And you have to understand that, changes are going to take time and and that you shouldn't after a few weeks conclude that it was all a big failure so i'm I, you know i'm being patient with myself um and and uh you know I, I i don't think even in five years i'll be able to say aha i ran 17 seconds faster for 5k because i you know fixed some of my self-defeating self-talk it's not that these things are very hard to disentangle um and so, and, and for me, that's part of the reason that I never really took them seriously when I was younger. And, but, but one of the interesting things for me is uh, in writing this book has been spending all this time immersed in the scientific literature and, and see, talking to scientists who are studying this stuff and saying, yeah, no, we've, we've tested it in the lab and it works. It works under controlled conditions. So when you go home, you're not going to have those same controlled conditions. You're not going to have a lab to find out if self-talk is making you faster. But we know from the research that it works. And so if you, if you stick with it, you should be able to see some gains. Well, um, thank you. I think it, it's also important to note, I mean, somebody with, as an athlete, I, I know that you're um, probably able to reach goals a little better than us lay people. Um, just having met a lot of athletes, you're a little more determined. And to know that it's still difficult for you as well can be encouraging for anybody else who's trying to work on changing um, their endurance and, and their thought pattern and, and in anything else. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, cool. Yeah, thanks. I, I mean, I, I agree. It's important to to not oversell it and to make to, by making it sound easy. Uh, you know, maybe I'd sell a few more books, but if I claimed that I had a, an easy solution, but but the problem is that it just, like you said, it rebounds in the opposite direction and makes people frustrated uh, when it, when it turns out that it's it's not easy. It's a, it's a journey for all of us. Yeah, definitely. Now, if anybody has um, any questions or wants to find your book, how can they go about doing so? Uh, yeah, probably the easiest place to find me is on Twitter. Uh, my my handle there is Sweat Science, all one word, Sweat Science. And anytime I have new articles and things like that, I I post there and I try and respond to comments there too. I do have a website, alexhutchinson.net, uh, where there's more detail on me and and links to my books and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, Twitter or alexhutchinson.net are, are good places to find me. Well, perfect. Thank you so much for joining me today. I I uh, enjoyed the show. Well, thanks, Rebecca. I really appreciated the conversation. And I want to thank everybody for listening. Today we were talking with Alex Hutchinson. We were discussing his book, Endear, Mind, Body, and the Curiously Elastic Limits of Human Performance. Thanks for listening, and be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week.